That'd be great. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. I may be in it. Is that okay? The intro sucks. Anyways, it's not good. Okay. Hello, welcome to River West Church. Right now I'm recording this message. It is a Thursday evening, but hopefully you're tuning in to this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I want to welcome you. My name's Eric, one of the pastors here. If you are tuning in on YouTube premiere right now, I want to encourage you as, as this sermon goes and as the service keeps going to type amens and hallelujahs throughout the, uh, into the chat as we, as we open God's word together. Um, and even now, you've got a minute to just greet each other. And even if you see somebody you know, say hi to them. I know that you don't listen to my introductions anyways. But we have started a new series. We're in week two of a new series called Faithful Living in Fragile Times. We're looking at the book of Daniel, and really we're looking at the life of Daniel, this Jewish teenager whose hometown of Jerusalem was besieged by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian nation. And Daniel and his friends are captured, but they're not captured and sold into slavery. Instead, because of their youth, because of their intelligence and competence and, and their looks and, and their intelligence, because of all these things, they find themselves in the palace of Babylon. And they're brought in for an indoctrination project. Now, Babylon didn't want it to just destroy the nation of Judah, but to indoctrinate its young people, its young leaders, to such a degree that actually Judah would become Babylon 2.0. And Daniel and his friends find themselves a part of this plan. Now, one of the first things that we heard last week was about the various ways that they, the Babylonians sought to indoctrinate these young teenagers. They would do that through education. So they would be taught by the wisest teachers in Babylon. They'd be taught a new language. They would be taught a new literature. They, this would happen in a dietary way as well. So they were to be fed the king's food. Have you ever wondered where the phrase, we ate like kings, comes from? It comes from this story. That's not true. I don't think that's true. It might be. And they're given new names. Their new names would be a mockery of their Hebrew names. Now, their Hebrew names were given to them to express the greatness of Yahweh, the, the true God. And these new names that they would get in Babylon would actually be a mockery of that. And their, their names would change to um, names that would glorify the gods of Babylon. And so what they were seeking to do was to snuff out any of the religious fervor in these young people. And that is the place that Daniel and his friends find themselves in. And we know this, though. We know that God is truly and intimately and sovereignly involved in the lives of these people. And so what I want to talk about today, the title of this sermon is Risks and rewards of life in exile. We're going to read together in Daniel chapter 1. We'll start in verses 
in verse 8. Now, this is right after Daniel and his friends have been given new names and also a new diet. This is what it says. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Let's start by talking about the risks of life in exile. You know, one of the main risks of living in exile is that you could lose your head. And that's actually a literal statement. And and that's expressed by this person that Daniel is talking to. He's worried about losing his life. And truly, for Daniel and his friends, there was the possibility that they could lose their lives in exile. But they were concerned with something different. They were concerned with something greater than that. So the situation is that they're in the midst of this indoctrination project. And Daniel has very little, if, if any, control of his life. New name, new books to read. And we presume not just books to read, but that he would just be immersed in the culture of Babylon. But we're told almost immediately that Daniel resolves not to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. Now, there's tons of speculation on why Daniel refuses the meat and the wine and instead only drinks water and and, and eats vegetables. And and I want to say that this is not a sermon about the power of a plant-based diet, but that is a thing. There's a deeper thing that's going on here. Why wouldn't he eat the king's food? Some have speculated that Daniel refuses to eat the king's food because it would be ceremonially unclean according to the Levitical law. And that is, that is possible and even probable. But it doesn't actually say that. And truly, anything that Daniel could eat in Babylon would be ceremonially unclean. So he'll take on the new name. He takes on the new education and literature and books that, that he's forced to read. But there was something about this food that for Daniel... And his friends, it represented an assimilation into the culture of Babylon. And Daniel said, I I can't do that. So here's the real risk of life in exile. It's not just that you would lose your life. It's not that you would just lose your head physically, but that you could lose your way spiritually. It's called syncretism. This is the real risk, is that their faith in the one true God would just blend in with the religious faith of Babylon. That Daniel and his friends would go all the way into this godless culture and embrace its beliefs and worship and practices, and that they'd be swallowed up by the mind of the world rather than transformed by the heart of God. And the truth is, is that every one of us faces 
this risk in our life. When I first moved to Portland, I moved at a time when many of us Californians were moving to, to Portland. I think it's been referred to as the second or perhaps the third wave of Californians moving to Oregon. And I know that native Portlanders will snicker at us Californians for moving here. But I always like to remind people, Pastor Guy asked me to move here. I was invited. Oregon came looking for me. Anyways, I moved at a time when many other young people, and in particular young believers, were moving to this area, to this city. And I would see young people just be completely immersed in the culture of Portland and the ethos of culture. And it would have a a negative effect. Now, I'm not talking about craft beer or craft coffee or hiking. I'm, I'm talking about the ideologies of our age and of our city the ideologies that, that say things like, you know what, you just do you. Or that there's, there's, no, there's nothing objectively true. The only truth is my truth. And I would see young believers begin to try to embrace those ideologies and mix in Christian faith with it. And they would just be swallowed up by our culture. And I think that this is actually the thing that Daniel is afraid of. And I don't think he's terrified of it. He's, he's aware of it. He senses that in Babylon, he can lose his way, even his heart in this new city. And so he resolves to not defile himself. He resolves to commit to God and to God's ways. And he doesn't do it by going on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and protesting against his captors and demonizing them. No, he does something differently. It says that he simply asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And within that, there's this sort of reasonableness and even humility in it. And God blesses that. In verse 9, it says, God gave favor and compassion to Daniel. That's an amazing statement. We think that the, that the powers that be in Babylon are actually in control, but God is able to move the heart of the leaders of Babylon in such a way that they have compassion and favor on Daniel. What an amazing thing. So Daniel reaches out to this, uh, to this person in command. We'll call him the second in command. And this godless person has compassion on him, but, but he's scared. He's scared of losing his actual head, we are told. And so Daniel receives kind of like a hypothetical compassion from this guy. But the guy says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to do anything for you because I'm worried about dying. And this is what Daniel does. This is amazing. In verse 11, it says, Then Daniel said to the steward from the chief of the eunuchs, had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he goes to the third in command, and he says this, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Amazing. Notice Daniel's humble persistence here. It's not outrage. 
he, he went, he's kind of just going down the chain of command. He went to the second in command and he said, I, I can't do this. And that person says, I can't do anything for you. So he goes down the ladder a little bit and he asks the next person in charge and says, can, can you help me? Let's, let's, let's do a test here. Let's see about this. Let's see if, if me and my friends just eat vegetables and drink water. Let's see if we're more healthy than the people that are drinking wine and eating meat. So these verses are like, this is like gospel for vegans. Okay, this is like John 3.16 for plant-based people. And I love it. It's amazing. Some of you are Googling the Daniel fast right now, but just don't do that yet. Just stay with me. It's true that if, if you eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days, you're going to have this glow about yourself. And so Daniel knows that. And so he's testing and he's acting wisely, but not for the sake of outrage or defiance, but he's acting this way because he's radically committed to God. He's faithful. I want to be faithful in this season. Don't you? Isn't, isn't that your desire in this time that we live in to learn to be faithful? I don't, on the one hand, want to be overcome by fear or, or on the other hand, be overcome by defiance. But instead, I want to be led by faithfulness to Jesus. You should probably type preach into the chat right now. So there's a test. And really, there's a risk that comes along with life in exile. Daniel and the boys, they're, they're radically committed to God. They're committed to holiness. But it's not so much about what they're set apart from, but who they're set apart to. So there's a risk in exile, but there's also a great reward. I want you to listen to these words. Um, we're going to go back into the story into verse 17. Listen to this. It says this. As for these four youths, God gave. I want you to underline those two words. God gave. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood, not bowed, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, underline those two words, wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Amazing. God gave. Two of the most important words in the Bible, God gave. But what did he give them? We're told that God gave them wisdom and understanding, which I'm just going to go out and say it. I think that's exactly what we need right now in our time, wisdom and understanding. There's so many different perspectives that we're hearing in our world and in our time, but every one of us needs wisdom and understanding Truly, as I was preparing for this sermon, there's a part of the sermon that's kind of academic. You're reading the text. You're trying to learn from, from the language. You're trying to think about the context that you're reading, um, the, the place that Daniel has in the scriptures, all these things. But then 
as I'm preparing, and this happens to, to all of us in many ways as we're preparing to preach a sermon, you have a moment where you begin to, to discern that God's saying something to our people, to our community. And I, this is what I sensed he was saying. I sensed that he was saying, I still give wisdom and understanding. This isn't just something I did thousands of years ago. This isn't just something that only happens in the Bible. I believe that God is saying, I still give wisdom and understanding. So let's talk about wisdom and understanding. First, we'll look at what is wisdom and understanding, and then how do we get it? So we know that Daniel and his friends were chosen to be a part of this indoctrination project in Babylon. They were chosen because of their leadership skills, but it also says they were chosen because they had wisdom and understanding. It literally says that in verse 4 of chapter 1. But we're also told that they grow in wisdom and understanding in exile. So now, what I'm going to suggest to you is that wisdom and understanding are not just biblical principles in the Bible, but that they're promises of God for those who seek him. So the combination of wisdom and understanding is it's all over the scriptures. At times, it seems like wisdom and understanding are kind of synonymous terms, but I believe that when we look deeply into these words, we'll see that God is trying to show us something profound. So let's just kind of nerd out for a second. Wisdom. In, in verse 17, it says that God gave them wisdom. And the wisdom that, that he gave them is, the, that word wisdom has a moral and an ethical dimension to it. It's spiritual and it's practical. When it says they grew in literature and wisdom, we're supposed to hear that they're growing in their ability to navigate life in Babylon. There's a whole new set of rules in Babylon. But there's really no playbook for them as followers of God on how to do that. And so they're placed in this godless place that worships many gods, but doesn't recognize the one true God. And these young men would have grown up in a culture a culture they would have grown up in back in Jerusalem. They would have grown up in a place where they worshipped regularly, where they surrounded themselves with the Torah, which gave them instruction on how to live. They would have lived in a community of people that loved them and said, this is what wisdom is. This is how we follow our God. This is how we love well. But their place of worship was burned down. We know this, and we, and we, we can assume that they probably didn't have the Hebrew Scriptures with them in exile, and those scriptures would give them wisdom and instruction on how to live. And so they must have been asking this question, God, how do we live wisely right now? How do we follow you? How do we know the way that you're calling us? How do we discern how to act in this situation and in that situation? And, it, and we're told in the story that God actually gave them that wisdom, that God provided that wisdom to them as they devoted themselves to God. In the end of the story, the, the, the four of them are before the king. And we're told something that they were more wise, that they were actually 10 times as wise as all of the other wise folk in Babylon. The king is like, you know, you guys are onto something here. And we know that it was the wisdom that only comes from God and his word. They needed wisdom and God gave it to them. And so do you and I. And what I want to tell you is that he still does. Now, that second word is understanding. I want to read verse 17 to you one more time. 
It says that God gave them wisdom and understanding, and Dan, it's a, God gave them wisdom, I'm sorry, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, this is interesting. So, wisdom is placed in the category of, of like moral and ethical living. It's related to the various philosophies of the day. It's, it's about being able to discern how to live and walk wisely. But understanding here relates to visions and dreams. So understanding is, is answering the question, what is God actually doing in exile? God is giving Daniel spiritual insight into what he is doing. Now, if you read on in Daniel, and I hope you do, you'll see that one of the predominant themes of Daniel's life is that he was able to and called upon often to interpret dreams. It's like in his job description. If you can imagine his LinkedIn page, it's like handsome, smart, hard worker, great leadership skills, able to interpret dreams. I mean, it's just, it's just a part of who he is because God has blessed him in this way. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, is, is truly a tortured soul. And he recognizes there's something different about Daniel. So he's often asking him, I need you to interpret this dream. And Daniel can do it. Now, how's he able to do it? Because God gave him understanding. God gave Daniel not just wisdom on how to live, but the ability, the eyes to see what God was doing in the world. And our passage ends with Daniel. It, it's interesting. At the end of our passage, it's sort of like a, a very brief synopsis of, of the life of Daniel. It starts with him as a teenager, but then it says that when King Cyrus would reign, that Daniel was still there. Now, King Cyrus was the king of Persia, and Persia would eventually overthrow Babylon. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But where is Daniel? He's still advising kings because God gave him wisdom and understanding. So I want to talk to you right now. God knows what you need. Every single one of us, we need wisdom and understanding. And I know that some of you may be objecting. You may think, you know, Daniel's life is a lot different than mine. I don't have that kind of position or influence. In fact, I'm just stuck at my home right now. Or you may be thinking, you know, Daniel, Daniel's just a different kind of guy than me. He's a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I could never interpret dreams. You may be thinking all of those things, but I believe wholeheartedly wisdom and understanding are promises from God. Timeless spiritual truths. Listen to this. When we look, when we turn to the New Testament, we're going to look at this person and his name is Jesus. And he needed wisdom and understanding as well. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, in fact, you, might, you don't have to. We'll put it on the screen for you. We get this snapshot of Jesus the teenager in chapter 2. And it describes him this way in, in verse 40 of chapter 2. It says, Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. This is totally Daniel-type language. So he's growing up and he's learning. But then just a few verses down in verse 47, we find Jesus in the temple and he's dialoguing with the religious leaders of the day. They're talking about the scriptures. They're talking about how to live, about what God is doing. And, and, and listen to this. In verse 47, it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. Jesus was a man of the word. 
Jesus was the wisest person has ever lived. And he was a person of understanding. He knew what God was up to. I'm telling you, wisdom and understanding, it's all over the scriptures. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. This is Paul talking to a a community of believers who are living in fragile times and they're trying to learn how do we follow Jesus right now in our time. Listen to what he says to them. He says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. There it is, wisdom. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wisdom and understanding in community. Wisdom to know how to live because the days are evil. Understanding to be able to discern what God is up to in our world. That's actually what we need. But the question is, is how do we get it? And we've already said it's something that comes only from God. God gives it. That's the first thing you need to know. But I believe wholeheartedly that there's, there are ways that we can devote ourselves to God. It will open up our hearts and our minds to receive his wisdom and understanding. And I think it actually happened in the life of Daniel. And it's, I want to call us to two practices today, prayer and fasting. These practices in Daniel's lives are in his life, they're spelled out more in the chapters ahead. But as Pastor Adam and I were, as we were praying and thinking about this service today, we really felt like we'd be doing a, a disservice. It would be foolish to wait to talk about them. Prayer and fasting. Now, um, a while back, we did a series on spiritual discipline, so you can learn more about prayer and fasting. Um, feel free to listen to those sermons throughout the week. But I wanted to show you a couple of scenes from Daniel's life. The first is in chapter six. This is an amazing story. It's Daniel in the lion's den. It's a story many of us have heard. So what happens though, is that a law goes out that for Daniel is basically a death sentence. And I want you to listen to these words in six verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Amazing. This rhythm of prayer three times a day, it marked his life. And no doubt, it is where the fire of wisdom and understanding was stoked. I just wanted to use the word stoked for you today. It's in prayer it's in prayer that, that I believe Daniel grew in wisdom and understanding, and it should be so in our lives. The second is fasting. I'll say this briefly. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, we, we, we get a picture of, of Daniel, and it says that he prayed for his people with fasting. Amazing. And I would argue that our story today is it contains a kind of a fast. Daniel said, I'm going to abstain from this as I commit my life to God. So I was blessed to grow up with a dad that fasted regularly. My dad was a pastor for several decades. And I remember, I remember this as a kid. I, could, I just remember on, on Fridays, which was a study day, he would, he would fast from breakfast and lunch so that he could literally feed on the word of God. 
such a powerful, such a powerful memory in my own life. It's a shout out to my dad right now. But, but I loved seeing that commitment to faithfulness, that active way to tell our hearts and our mind that we don't live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so here's what I want to call us to as a church in closing. We need wisdom and understanding on how to live right now. And it looks different for each of us. But in community, we should pursue these things together. And I believe wholeheartedly that, that prayer and fasting are, are a way to do that. It's a way to engage with God to say, Lord, show me how to live. Show me how to love. Show me what you're up to in this world. So I want to encourage you with those words today. The, the life of Daniel, it's so powerful for us to look at. We have so much to learn from him. And as a community, what we're going to do is we're going to commit to, to look to Jesus, to pray to him, to call out on his name together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these words. Thank you so much for these truths. We ask, Lord, that you would seal your word in our hearts, that we might follow you, that we might trust you and obey you in all that we do. God, we love you. Thank you for your grace, Lord, that you poured out on us. And today we respond in worship and adoration to you. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond together and invite you to, as, as we worship, just to continue to type into that chat. Um, type hallelujahs and amens as we sing. Uh, let's agree with God in his word. Let's respond to him in faith.